0: Can supply chain disruptions create a competitive advantage? Stephen Doherty of the Kraft Heinz Company shares lessons on supply chain transformation and agility from a 20-year career across multiple industries. This week on the Patient Driven Supply Network with Roddy Martin. Hi, Steve. It's, uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on uh, this Thought Leadership Supply Chain series with us. I'm uh, firstly going to ask you to introduce yourself uh, and tell us a little bit about your background. And then we'll get into some of the areas of of expertise that uh, I'd really like to talk to you about as we all, after COVID-19, explore, you know, how to to make sure we have resilient and agile supply chains going forward into the future. So, Steve, over to you, to introduce yourself.
1: So, thank you for having me today. Uh, My name is Steve Doherty. Um, Let's see, the joke on me is that I've had the guy's perfect career. Uh, I've made pickup trucks, televisions, and beer. A um, couple of stops along the way and other, other places, but for the most part, those three industries, um, all in supply chain and logistics.
0: Good. Well, the, the one thing that I always associate with you, Steve, is the fact that uh, you've born, always been in the center of planning and planning transformation, uh, sales and operations planning. And one of the things that we've seen in COVID <clears throat> is the impact of disruptions on the whole supply system in a supply chain. And I'm sure that through your trucks, beer, cookies, and, and now electronics, you've seen massive impact of disruptions on supply chain. Can you tell us, of, give, give us a few anecdotes of where you've seen disruptions and how they've impacted the back of the business? Because as I'm sure you appreciate, in the pharmaceutical industry, you know they live on the hangover of you know 85% margins, 300 days worth of inventory and you know, if it expires, just throw it away cause it costs you 15%. We don't have that luxury anymore. And in COVID-19 we saw what happens when you run out of PPEs and vaccines and test kits. So give us a few of the anecdotes and the fast moving industries that you've been
1: through. The interesting thing is I've been on both sides of the disruption. So uh, I was with uh, a large Korean electronics company. That's when you and I met. Uh, and right when digital disruption was, was taking hold as a concept, and it was something that we were actively pursuing to, to drive disruption within the industry and use that to drive share for ourselves. Um, I've seen the flip side of that. Uh, I was with, uh, was with Anheuser-Busch, a, a massive beer company, um, right as a lot of the craft beer, uh, business was taking off here in the U S. And suddenly you have three new competitors showing up every day with dozens of new SKUs, all fighting for the same share of throat, as we like to say. And so we take a, a business that's very, had been very stable. Uh, and suddenly, uh, you know, we're throwing a lot of dynamic activity at it, both from a competitive perspective and then internally in terms of how are we you know, bringing new products to market to Uh, sustain and manage all of that competition.
0: And it's interesting that you talk about using disruption as a competitive weapon. I mean, that is, you know, that to me is the ultimate epitome of agility. If you are so agile and you know your process capabilities so well that you can disrupt your competitors, that's an incredible form of competitive advantage and you know the joke between you and I is that we were both on both sides of the beer industry you were in Anheuser-Busch and I was in SAB Miller and when Anheuser-Busch came out and said you know our our competitive advantage is you're going to get your beer the day it was put in a bottle and that disrupted the beer industry because it was taking us weeks to get beers to market and you were basically saying you want it fresh we label it on the day it was packaged not when it expires. And that disrupted the beer industry, but I mean, that's the point that, that there is. So so in terms of, um, of disrupting and in terms of being able to, in a sense, respond in such a volatile environment, I mean, what pieces of advice and insight would you say are critical to supply chain leaders' understanding so that they can be more responsive, more agile, more resilient the next time around. Because I think we've made some really stupid mistakes, like visibility is the vogue. But you know, visibility about what? So maybe you can give us some thoughts on, you know, what you think are some of the cornerstones of resilience.
1: My thoughts on supply chain is that you always need to make sure that you're you're linking the supply chain into the larger business strategy and then th- that competitive strategy within within the, the industry. So, uh, you know, at Samsung, you know, it was very much about how do we drive, uh, you know, drive data downstream, you know, pulling information from, you know, our customers and using that to manage, you know, back up into our factories and our suppliers. Um, and that was, you know, a key advantage for us to be able to respond faster to the marketplace than, than uh, other players at the time, you know, at, and as a Bush, uh, you know, for us, the, you know, one of the big uh, activities became, you know, how do we link closer with our marketing uh, and commercial teams uh, in order to ensure that we've got, you know, the right plans in place, the right scenarios uh, to expect for, you know, a sudden influx of innovations because we, you're not going to leave, uh, you know, a business with only two major, ske- you know, two major brands like Budweiser and Bud Light, and let that decline forever. You have to have a, a competitive response. And you need to be working with the commercial team hand in hand, understand what they want and how they think they can respond, and you need to build the supply chain to be ready for them before they need it.
0: I mean, let's pick up on the point you reacted to when I said visibility. You know, visibility has become the the holy grail of the industry my 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 dig on the word visibility is visibility of what and so what right i mean you know, there's visibility of toilet paper, there's visibility of packaging, you know, beer packaging that's running for the hundreds of thousands of cans an hour. There's two different kinds of visibility and two kinds of impacts. But what do you do with that visibility? And, and I think that's the, unfortunately, the reaction we've seen is, oh, we can't see it, so we've put in another IT tool to get visibility, but it's not going to make the problem go away. And, you know, I know that, uh, there's great stories about visibility, but I'm sure you have a couple of points to make.
1: I mean, so listen, we, we could go as far as, uh, and I talked with a couple of providers, you know, we could get uh, satellite imagery and link that into our planning processes and understand what's happening with our customers and, and our competitors if we needed to, for what purpose. So at the end of the day, visibility is great to have. It is a must uh, as much as possible. Um, but it's, it's, it's not the end, right? It's the beginning for analysis. I have this, uh, this saying I tell my teams that, you know, every good bit of analysis gets you maybe one answer and probably two more questions.
0: Right.
1: Right. And so, you know, how are you going to, you know, have the team in place, the tools in place, you know, to make sure you're asking the right questions and then, you know, don't be afraid when you don't like the answers, figure out how, you know, what do you need to do from there, whether visibility is, you know, downstream data, which is always my go to, or, you know, everyone right now is talking about the, the Amazon model where they want to know you know, when the product is going to be delivered to the consumer, you know, based on, you know, the truck driving down the street.
0: And, and I mean, that's, that's, you know, if you go back 10 years, we were in the same vein as we're talking about visibility today. We're talking about demand forecast accuracy then. And everybody was off on this chase to get more accurate demand forecasts. And some of the leading companies, and I think you were one of them that said, look, you, you, you don't chase after 100% demand forecast. You're never gonna get it. It's gonna cost you a fortune. You're never gonna get it. It's not gonna be uh, that, that uh, you know, worth it from a business value point of view. But if you can get it to 90, 95% and have really agile backend supply systems, when you get demand forecast wrong, you're still going to be able to respond because you know your business, your suppliers, your contract manufacturers well enough. Let's talk about the work you've done in downstream joint value creation with customers. In other words, when you were in a beer company, electronics company, you were working with the retailers, the liquor wholesalers, the marketplace, to try and get them to share information with you that you incorporated into your planning process, which in turn drives the supply process. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: You know, so on the electronic side, you know, as I mentioned, um, you know, we were looking to disrupt the industry. Um, You know, we had uh, a very interesting product portfolio, you know, in the works uh, as things were coming along. But, you know, in that business, the, the product basically declines in value so quickly that you can't have a massive, Uh, a massive amount of inventory anywhere. So that's the, it's, it's the true lean business, if you will. So in order to ensure that we didn't have excess inventory in our own barns, the first focus was, okay, you know, work with the retailers, get their data and make sure they don't have excess inventory and basically treat the supply chain as a collective whole. So it's a little bit academic, I suppose, but, you know, in the discussions with the, you know, with the supply chain teams that, major retailers that you could imagine here in the States, you know, the questions are always, okay, we're going to improve our supply for you. We're going to, uh, you know, improve our on-time performance with you, but we need data to make that work. So just the nature of of how a supply chain can, can work together. Um, and that was always pretty well received. Um, in the beer business, much more fragmented. A lot more distributors, as you know, a lot more wholesalers, a lot more, uh, players, you know, kind of throughout the channel and throughout the chain. Um, you know, so there, you know, we had great visibility into what was happening with our wholesalers. We had okay visibility with what was happening downstream and interesting thing. One of the things I dealt with there. So, you know, everyone nowadays talks about, uh, at least in the forecasting and demand planning space, they want a, like a one button forecast. Um, you know, we actually had that. So when I came in to the North America team, we had, in the sake of efficiency, we had moved demand planning over to a shared service and eventually had turned it into essentially a push button exercise. And it worked great for big massive brands that sell millions of cases. Doesn't work for new SKUs, doesn't work for the small things. And so we needed to pull that activity back, uh, bring more of a segmented approach, if you will, and help the supply chain to figure out how do we treat, uh, you know, the Goose Islands and the and the the various malt beverages and, uh, uh, Ritas or cola flavors or whatever ciders or whatever was the vogue at the time, and treat them se- separate and special from the massive lagers.
0: So that's a really important point because what you've just said is what you know John Gatone and all his books always says right. If you've got a very good demand forecast, big brand. You've got great relationships with all your distributors and wholesalers. It's a replenishment supply chain. You know, you've got to be efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got to make sure you know where what, what inventories are out there so that you never run out. But if you've got a small flavor sensitive and those demographics around flavors, depending on where you are, you better be agile and flexible because not everybody's looking for, you know, a big bud. They might be looking for a grapefruit-flavored beer or a raspberry flavor, whatever the case may be. And so segmentation, uh, I think, is starting to creep into the healthcare. So it's amazing that the healthcare industry is kind of 10 steps behind where consumer goods and consumer electronics has gone. Consumer goods, consumer electronics had short life cycles. A software change meant a new product, so you had to exactly to your point. You couldn't afford to have, you know, low low resolution cameras uh, sitting around in the channel if you just bought out a new product. Because what are you going to do with the old stuff? So, so f- uh, in pharmaceuticals, as we go down personalized medicine, where you're making uh, a drug for you know a community of ten patients or one patient, not millions of tablets for you know millions a community of everybody gets a headache tablet. It's a very very different model. Now, So let me ask you a question: a question about segmentation. How well did your leadership team and how well did you galvanize around the idea of segmentation? Because it takes a whole lot of extra. Work and extra processes and much more cross-functional activity. It's not a planning function; it's a business function, right? Correct. Let's understand how to jointly create value with different partners. So, what was your experience in introducing a outside-in segmented approach to planning?
1: We brought in the you know the external consultant and had them you know do their study and pro- and provide their their kind of packaged solution. And they did perfectly good work, um, but really the, the approach needed to be, you know, what was the transformation PMO that we were going to lead after they left? And, you know, it started off and off, you know, with an awful lot of fix the basics. Um, you know, how are we get, you know, how do we pull demand planning back? How do we get SNLP in, in place? And then, you know, building out the advanced capabilities. And so it's made that journey very clear for both the operations and the business leadership that you know we need a certain roadmap. We've got to build some foundational elements and then we're gonna we're gonna add these new pieces and we're gonna cement it all with one common process.
0: Right. And so SNOP became the holy grail literally for the last 10 years. And and everybody was down the journey of trying to make SNOP or integrated business planning work. Mm-hmm. Uh, the work you did and the work Samsung did was in my opinion is still best in class. Why do you think so many companies have battled to, to get SNOP working to bring the demand and the supply uh, supply side of the supply chain together and deliver business results? What's been so difficult?
1: I'm of the belief that you, know, you can't approach SNOP or IBP as a supply chain process. It's a business process. It's how you run your business. And so then it needs to be linked with Um, you know, with the financials, with the commercial teams, with their promotional plans. Um, And it it needs to be, you know, driven by what the business is driven by, not by, you know, a supply chain imperative for forecast accuracy or low inventory. The trade-offs you have to make in supply chain, be it planning or operations or logistics, are the same you're making across the business, right? You're always trading off service, which is more or less revenue. Uh, cost and capital, working capital.
0: Do you, do you think that the, the, the supply chain has been reticent to let go of SNOP and hand it to the business and say, look, this is really a business process capability that we should all be working on together? Why do you think it hasn't moved to the business? Because the business doesn't know how to lead and manage the change, or because supply chain won't let it go because they're still being held to numbers and efficiencies and costs?
1: It's a great question. You know, so in ultimately, it's got to be hand-in-hand hand with the finance team, right? So th- that's why I've always found to be the best partners in an s process. I have an MBA in finance, so maybe I speak that language a little bit better than some others do. But I think it's important to, you know, you've got to be able to be flexible to, to manage your SNOP process in dollars and units. And I, I don't think... I think a lot of organizations are reticent to do that or, you know, or to build that capability and to build that linkage between the two pieces.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I I mean, you've come up with a couple of real nuggets. I mean, I I love your perspective of, um, you know, it's less about visibility than it is about uh, sharing data from downstream to the upstream team so that they can plan and manage supply networks efficiently. I mean, I think that that is what this industry is grappling with. And by the way, that is one of the big changes that healthcare is gonna to have to make because healthcare has always made millions of tablets because they could do it at 85% margins and just throw <laughs> away the stuff that expires, right? So to pivot that to say, well, now we're not gonna make um, 300 days worth of inventory. We're gonna make enough keep all these patients happy and by the way now we're also segmenting the patient population from millions of people down to segments of maybe 10 100 one patient so inventory and you know outside in demand planning starts to become really critical so i think the ability to share data down the network with all partners in the supply network is absolutely critical. And that unfortunately is is one of the Achilles heels of healthcare because there's so many agendas. You know, there's distributors who like in the beer industry don't necessarily share their information. It's not in their interest in <laughs> their information. Uh, there are contract manufacturers who are being asked by many different brand owners to make and package products. And so, you know, it's in their interest to shuffle their capacity around and keep the big boys happy and not necessarily satisfy the small ones. So, so I think you make a very uh, a very valid point. It's less about, and let me make sure that I interpret you correctly, it's less about inv- uh, visibility than it is about sharing accurately real-time data from the demand side of the supply chain down through the supply network to all other partners in the supply network.
1: Yeah, at the end of the day, it's, it's all about getting rid of that that uh, bullwhip right. effect, the, the, the beer game, as it were. I always right. joked at, at AB that we played the beer game every day, and some days we lost and some days we won, but every day we played. It's what, what do you do with the data, to your point. Right. right so you get as much as you can you analyze it you figure out what you're missing you go after that and then you continue to drive yourself to improve
0: so so two uh this has been really really good discussion two points that i'm going to ask you just to kind of give your perspective on um you know one is agility and what do you think the big gaps in agility are and the second one is what piece of advice would you give a young supply chain leader, you know, climbing up the ranks to be a, uh, a future supply chain executive? Because supply chain leaders tomorrow are business leaders. They're on the bridge of the ship with, uh, with the sea level team guiding the ship. They're not just, you know, managing efficiencies and taking out costs. It's mu- it's a much bigger role today. So, so let's start with the first point. I mean, agility. I mean, the beer industry pervasively built agility as a capability because they needed to be responsive to market and demand changes. What's your perspective on agility?
1: So I think, and, you know, I had a, I had a couple of different experiences in the beer industry. because my, So my last role with AB, I was doing uh, more on the craft beer and e-commerce side, um, some investment activities that we were doing around the world. And in that space, you know, we really focused on the agility because there was just so much dynamic activity going on in, in each marketplace. But I, I think agility comes back to the segmented approach as you already referred to with, with John and or with Professor Lee. You know, there are pieces and areas where you need to focus on efficiency and it should just be efficiency. It should just be efficient response all day long. And it's important to then understand where do you need to invest in the agility? And then how do you set up um, teams focused on agility because if you have one team looking at a, you know, a large efficient process and an agile process on the side, they're mm-hmm. only going to focus on the big numbers because that's how their metrics are all right. going to be based off of. Right. So you need to you know, segment not only your supply chain in, in concept but in team um, right. and then your tools and your, to an extent your processes. Um, so I think that, that's my thoughts on, on what do you do with agility in a supply chain.
0: And I like that because I think that is where healthcare is going. As we go to personalized medicine, if you don't understand the patient, as much as people will say, well, we don't get close to the patient, that's private data. Look how fast consumer goods got over that, you know, information privacy. You don't need to know every patient's personal data, but when you start grouping smartly, that outside end data you can start doing some really clever things in the supply chain. So, second point and last point is, you know, a new leader coming, somebody who's interested in uh, and moving up the ranks uh, to supply chain leadership and being on the business leadership team and being at the helm of the growth strategy of the business. What one piece of nugget advice
1: would you give them? To me, the most important thing is to make sure you're, you're listening, uh, listening to the leaders, the commercial leaders, listening to your customers. Listening to your consumers um, and trying to pull insights out of that, that then can help you build a supply chain, you know, that's going to be effective and efficient.
0: I, and I think that that's a great point to close off on. And and I will say it's great because today, and and I uh, about six months ago before we had the pandemic, I heard a pharmaceutical supply chain executive say. You know, I thought we'd nailed down pharmaceutical supply chain, and then came digital. Now we're all confused, right? So, so let's not see digital as a confusion. And I, and I think you know, I love the accent on listening because we can actually get blindsided by just looking at systems and blindly interpreting demand, uh, uh, you know, data from IT systems and not actually thinking, and not listening to the business, and not uh, doing continually doing those trade-offs that are so important to keep the business balanced. So, So, I think I love that point. I think just listen, because if you listen, you'll also learn. I mean, there's nothing worse than coming across some of the supply chain leaders who want to tell you what the problem is all the time, and that's not necessarily what's called for today as we flip from inside out supply driven to outside in demand driven. So Steve, any closing thoughts from your side? I mean, this has been great.
1: No, I've really appreciated this. This has been a lot of fun for me. Um, it sounds like a lot of very interesting challenges in the, the pharmaceutical and healthcare supply chain. And uh, I, wish, uh, I wish you well.